0: We are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a
1: stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast.
2: I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Welcome, everybody, to episode 83 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. Um. I am... Sicky McSickerson. Yeah, yeah, getting over being sick, so I apologize if my voice is messed up, or if I have to take a sudden, you know, diversion in the middle of a sentence to cough up a lung. Um, I'm here with uh, bean. Hello. Joel Simon. Hey. And Andy Padel. Hi, and his name is actually Luke. Didn't I say my name? I don't think so. (sighs) Yeah, that's uh, that's about how my morning is going, so... um, we are this episode we are going to be talking about uh Hellboy. It's finally. A Christmas episode. Yeah, right. Yay. Um, we've been we've been toying with doing a Hellboy episode for uh we were originally yeah. <laughs> yes. The original actual scheduled Hellboy episode was supposed to be I think 77 or 78 and we pushed it back. To 79, and then we pushed it back to 81, and then Eddie was leaving, so we are like, well, let's get his last two books in, so we pushed it back to 83, and we're finally actually doing it. Um, uh, Spoilers, Hellboy is dead, so I'm not sure how relevant this episode's gonna be anymore, but... (laughs) Book's still going on. I know. There's Hellboy in hell. I get it. Uh, We'll talk about that later, Um, but... For the time being, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're doing. But the first thing, like if anybody follows me on Twitter, um, you know that I've been, I I had a minor panic attack in the last week and a half over um, Emerald City Comic Con and their new policy for press passes. Um, uh, All of their material for press badges uh, basically states that if anybody wants to do any interviews at all, uh, they have to have a press badge. And we applied for a press badge and... They denied it. Uh, Luckily, we did find out, though, that um, because we have a table, as long as we conduct all our business at our our Sally table, we're we're not required to have a press badge. So it was just interesting because, like, they've been tweeting for weeks. They're like, if you want to do interviews, you better get a press badge. And I'm like, son of a bitch.
0: I'm I'm into the not people running around with cameras oh, in wow. an uncontrolled manner though cuz yeah that's a pain in the butt.
2: I was actually going to say that that I understand why they're doing it yeah. uh, because especially last year I remember when we were there last year um Christina Rogers is one of the organizers of the show and she like stopped me um while I was on the show floor and she's like asked me bec- uh, if I had seen apparently there was another podcast oh, yeah. crew um basically running around and they would approach cosplayers um ostensibly to interview them for their podcast uh and they you know they would approach them fairly politely and then immediately when they got them settled and got their camera running and got their equipment they would start harassing them and asking them really shitty questions and asking them just like and just being complete dicks and then um would you know would basically I guess the I guess, well, I'd guess heard from a few other people, I guess what they were doing is they would harass somebody and that person almost universally would call for an enforcer. Well, mm-hmm. they're not called enforcers at ECCC. Minions, it's minions maybe. And they're enforcers at PAX. Um, they'd call for somebody on the show floor and then the podcast crew would literally just like disperse into the crowd and then reconvene somewhere else and do it again. Um, so,
0: like randomized asshole bombing? Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: so at least now which I think is going to be awesome. Cosplayers and people who are approached by um interviewers on the show floor can be like, do you have a press badge? Can I see your press badge? Yeah. You know? And they're and if they don't have one, they're like, no, fuck off, go. Bye. Um it was a it was a minor panic attack for me though because we've been doing interviews there for 3 years and like all of their literature was like if you want to do interviews, full stop. I mean, there was no there was no clarification Have a table. Yeah. Mm. And there was, yeah, there was no clarification of, and you don't have a table or if you, you know, if you want to do something, something. And I'm like, we don't need access to press areas. We don't need, we're not going to do interviews like on the show floor. We're just going to do them at our table. So we'll still have interviews coming from this show. There's a few people that I know I definitely want to interview. Like I want to get Ed back on the show because he's got a bunch of new shit coming up. Um, There's a murder book, Book. There's a murder book collection coming out. Murder He's book. got a new yeah murder book book. He's got a new murder book uh, story. How in, many times can we say murder yeah. book? He's got a new murder book story in uh, Dark Horse Presents uh, with Declan Shalvey. and yeah, um, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of stuff like that. So so we'll we'll be working over the next couple of months to to determine who who we can interview at the show, and then. Uh, we'll get that schedule put together and try and let everyone know before we go to Emerald City Comic Con. But we'll be there, as usual. Word. I don't Hooray. promise sobriety, as usual. Yeah, sure. I
0: promise to be distracted by multiple tables, as usual.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you wanted to talk about a particular comic book.
0: Pitch Planet! Yes. Pitch Planet um, <laughs> is a book that I don't even know if I necessarily would have picked <coughs> up if it hadn't didn't have Kelly Sue DeConnick on it. Uh because I mean, it is very it, so. Okay, Bitch Planet is a, if such a thing is possible, subversive f- feminist um, women in prison sci-fi story. <laughs> what? Like, and it deals directly with all of the the tropes of um, you know sex exploitation, black exploitation film. Of <laughs> you know of the actually, I did research. The first women in prison story was in nineteen fifty five. Um, on film, anyway. Really? Um, was it Canned Heat? No, it was not Canned Heat. It was called Caged. Caged, <laughs> caged Heat? Okay. Just ca- no, it wasn't Caged Heat either. It was just my Can- caged. Canned
3: Heat sounded amazing, by the <laughs> way. Uh,
0: I looked up Canned Heat. <laughs> it looks amazing, by the way. Ooh. And by amazing, I mean so many breasts. And <laughs> oh, yeah. It actually, this... On
3: m- one person? Like that. Yes. the girl with the three boobs? from. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's, it's Cthulian, actually. There's just nipples uh. everywhere. Um, wow (laughs) sorry that went to a place that the comic actually doesn't go to at all um the the went to
3: a kingdom death place just like you (laughs) know there actually is a model like that chest full of boob
2: tentacles (laughs) (laughs) boob tentacles and instead of like suckers it's got nipples all over it like that's uh,
0: god imagine lactating if you were that right that would suck Uh, um moving on bitch planet planet. (laughs) um the 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 world it's like in a world where patriarchy is taken over to the point where women are literally shipped into space to a correctional facility that mm. is run by a sort of pepto bismol pink um, abomination of uh, this like idealized female figure, oh, which wow. can actually
2: be changed. Like they they She's sh- got a bunch of avatars. Yeah, a bunch of avatars, and there's like an actress that plays that part and records different um, different.
0: The Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> please step forward and confess your sins. Um, so, is that
1: like the the foreman or the um, the warden? The warden, thank you. Kind of, yeah.
0: I am reminded of uh, one of the one of the lines out of Minor Arcana Press's recent release, Shuffle Poems. <laughs> which is, I will never go to prison because Sybil Danning will not be the prison warden and there will not be lots of enthusiastic yet unconvincing girl-girl sex. Um <laughs> <laughs> <which> Wait, what? <laughs> so that's Orange is the New Black. I mean, I actually really like this as a counterpoint to Orange is the New Black, for one thing, Um it takes the sort of classic women in prison story of, uh, and I'm not going to say too much here because I don't want to reveal stuff, of like the, the the woman who's not supposed to be here because, like, stuff, reasons, yeah. um, and turns it on its ear. So that's lovely. Yeah. Um,
1: so this is published by DC, right? <laughs> no. It's Kelly, it's Kelly it's, Sue DeConnick,
0: right? It's, it, <laughs> has Kelly Sue DeConnick ever written for DC? No. No, wait.
1: I don't think so. Oh, did I say that? Okay. Are you thinking, you thinking of Gail Simone? I'm thinking of Gail Simone. I'm of Gail Simone. Yeah.
0: No, I, Welcome back, well, Joel. Hi, hey. how you
1: doing? Uh, I'm kind of awake. As Luke <laughs> you need pointed to out, in that coffee there, buddy. Yeah. <whistles> uh, never mind. Anyways, go on.
0: <laughs> Luke pointed out on the twitters that like this is this is great for like showing Kelly Sue DeConnick's range as a writer. Yeah. Like she yeah. writes Captain Marvel. She she writes uh, Pretty Deadly, which is like super literary and poetic, and then she writes Bitch Planet, which is like yeah. what it is. It's so good.
2: And so far, um, as far as debut issues. I like Bitch Planet. I think Bitch Planet is her strongest. Oh yeah. Like I like Pretty Deadly, and it's fine for its thing, but it's definitely a niche book that that it's, requires it's a literary. Of, yeah, I love westerns, so sure. Pretty Deadly just sort of
3: has that going for it. Yeah, no, don't get
2: me wrong. I'm the same way, uh, but I think I think Bitch Planet. Um, it feels like it's it has this. Reading Bitch Planet is like talking to Kelly Sue DeConnick, you know, and it's like, it's definitely got uh, her stamp on it and her voice is the strongest in this one of the stuff that I've, I've read of hers and I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. I I remember remember a conversation with Kelly Sue DeConnick where I said, oh, Luke and Ann, they're right over there. And that was it. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Most of that actually, that interview, uh, was Anne actually, I didn't. I oh actually didn't hang
0: out and talk to Kelly yeah. for some time. It was great. It was pretty
2: cool. I sat there and and occasionally said things, but didn't. I was kind of on the sidelines for that one, but it was good. I like. Um, I really enjoy talking to her.
0: Uh, Valentin Delandro draws it. He's drawn a bunch of stuff for Marvel, mostly. I think um, it's really good. Like the whole team worked together really well. The design is really snappy. Um, yeah. Yeah.
3: So Sixth gun is amazing. Ahead. Are you current on it or not?
2: I am not. I'm about... I'm three issues behind on God, the main series and two issues behind on Days of the Dead. Okay.
0: So Sons of the Gun was a limited... It was a six thing. issue. Six 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 issue. issue. Yep. yeah. And As is
2: Days of the Dead. Okay. Is Days of the Dead six issues? I think so. I think it's supposed to be the same. Okay. They've got a very... A kind of a neat structure where um, every... Between every major story arc now... They do a, a, a one-shot issue that's usually drawn by Tyler Crook, who's uh, the guy that did. Um, I thought we talked to Colin about that years ago. What's the, what was the the horror the old school the horror? But the tooth, yeah. Tyler Crook did oh. the tooth, um, and he's done a, a bunch of other stuff as well. I actually reread the tooth, and I sort of warmed up to it. Really, yeah. We yeah. Should give it another go. Um, so they do this they they do a filler and it's usually a um like a an origin story or a background story on one of their side characters that's so awesome. they um and then now they've also done like uh, sons of the gun was a story about the the horseman um leading into I mean clearly you know they most of them die in the first story arc of of 6 guns so you don't really get a hell of a lot of history yeah. on them and that's kind of the each issue of sons of the gun was about um an individual horseman like the first five were an individual horseman and then the last issue was like a tie together of all of them and then days of the dead is about um it's more about the order of uh oh my god what the the <laughs> abraham, the,
0: the order of oh my god what abraham
3: the swords sort of, of Ab- yeah. sort of abraham yeah, thank you
2: abraham. um yeah i mean no i'm not current but it's still my favorite book like okay. without question uh, i won't spoil it for you then okay yeah, I'll talk I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure and read it before the next episode. I've been woefully behind on my comics reading. Um the one book that I have read uh that I'm really I am not current on it, but I'm about two issues behind that I'm really enjoying right now is Trees, it's yes. the new Warren Ellis book. It's, it's it is shockingly low key and under the radar for a Warren Ellis book. Um like, most people... I don't see a lot of people talking about it, and it is the kind of Warren Ellis story that I like the best. It's kind of like this speculative sci-fi with a kind of, you know, some um, strange, subversive elements, and it's it's real... It's really nice. It
0: feels um, kind of like... And I've only read, like, the first three or so <laughs> issues. It's the sort of thing that's been piling up in my in my box that I need to finish. Um, it, I feel like it's like those sort of weirdo alien invasion movies and I'm going to say some really bad ones just to contrast that like it's in that genre except unwell like Signs, terrible movie sure um, but
2: I, I, I just I disagree I don't think it's terrible I think it's me mm. I, I kind of like you science, see but. the
0: aliens at the end that ruined everything. It would have been fine if you hadn't seen the aliens at the end. Mm. That's my thought about science. But but it's like it's that genre except done really masterfully.
1: Yeah yeah. So is trees where the trees start killing people? No, uh-huh. No, that's the happening. There's just <laughs> yeah, three
0: okay. like alien basically appendages that come from space that are thrust into Earth. They call them the trees. We're not really sure what they are. They just show up. Yeah. And then they just chill out for about twenty years, and people get all complacent and shit. And then shit gets cray. No. There's
2: one in there's one in the Arctic, right? That's uh, there's one in I think South Africa. Yeah, and I don't remember the third one. There's
0: was. one that's in like a major metropolitan area. Yeah. Isn't
2: there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. It's like right in the middle of a city, and they've uh-huh. like built a bunch of shit around it. Yeah.
1: Okay, so it's a big alien kind of life form or don't thing. Don't
0: even. It know. looks
2: like a big tree. That's why it's called trees. Okay. So, yeah. uh, and by big, I also mean like reaches into the upper atmosphere. Big. Oh, like yeah. huge um it has uh it's yeah and that's the thing it's like that kind of that cool kind of like um alien mystery story uh-huh. that um that you don't get a lot of anymore i really like those kind of stories like something happens and um like cuz i just read the uh southern reach trilogy i don't know if anybody knows what that is by jeff vandermeer so oh. um, no i
0: haven't read it it's called
2: that. um the books are authority or there it's Annihilation Authority and Acceptance. Um <laughs> and they are Gosh. Really fucking weird. Like really weird. Um really good. Uh I have my opinions on the ending, but I won't, you know, I won't say sci fi you know? yeah. It's okay. uh it's near future sci fi. But it's kind of so it's a story that 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 um basically I'll I'll be as fast as i can there's a there's a an organization called the southern reach that um is uh at the entrance to this place called area x and what it is is it's a it's an enclosed area um along the coast of of well, i think the southern united states mm. um that has been uh Overrun by some kind of force. Everybody, there's a, there's a thing they call the border that contains it. Okay. Um, nothing can pass through the border, and everything inside area X, mm. like all the people have been killed, and everything in there is like rapidly returning to nature. Okay. Um, and there's a bunch of weird shit happening inside, huh. and the whole th- the whole story is about like expeditions that the Southern Reach has been sending in. Feels a bit Darwinian. Weird shit, a little bit. Um, yeah. so. It's 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 a really fantastic trilogy with um
1: that that I mm. would recommend. So oh, go, go ahead. I was just wondering, is it one of those sci-fi where you think it's one thing and then all of a sudden it just flips? Yeah, it turns into something else. It's really
2: hard for me to describe because of the fact that it is so it's it's so very different from just about anything else that I've read. Uh-huh. It's it's awesome. in that genre that a lot of people now are calling weird weird fiction. Weird tale. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it's um, there's. There's a mildly Cthulian feel to parts of it, but it's not really influenced by Cthulian okay. mythos. Southern um, Reach, then. Yeah, it's okay. uh, it's it's interesting because like I've re- I've read several like speculative sci-fi series recent, or books recently. Like, um, there's one that I highly recommend called, by Nick Harkaway called The Gone, the Gone, away, Gone world. away World. That scene with it the
0: Tupperware is. man. Yeah, that yeah. is the best goddamn scene that involves Tupperware <laughs> and all of literature. That's a, a reason alone to yeah. read this book: Tupperware yeah. and ninjas. Ninjas, yeah. That, and yet, uh, so good. Uh-huh.
2: You, you, you would like you would like the Gone Away World. It's really good. And then there's another one that I I, re- I finally read a China Mayville book called Railsea. That is one of those interesting, super super speculative kind of off the wall ideas where um, basically the planet has been like the oceans are basically gone and the the beds in which the oceans uh used to reside are now covered in a tangle of railroad tracks and all the all of humanity lives up on on mountainsides now because to to walk there are creatures that now live under the ground that are you know kind of like
0: the things out of tremors, tremors, worms. Yeah,
2: they're kind of they're where if you walk on the ground where the railroad tracks are, you get eaten. The spices <laughs> <will flow. laughs> but the um, the railroad tracks are there because it allows people to travel across those expanses without endangering themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really really funky. Got a pretty cool storyline. The ending is really screwed up. Um, screwed up, so good. Screwed up, screwed back. up, good. It's screwed up, good. In a, in that way where you're just like it, it's. Um, the kind of speculative sci-fi ending that you would see in sci-fi from like the 60s nice. um that doesn't happen very often anymore because people are always so like Distant turn by. their nose up by yeah they they turn their nose up at anything that they can't call realistic or you know it's just that that like it's it's super i I don't know how there's to describe a haze it there's
0: a weirdness involved with like fantasy sci-fi and horror genre and sub-genre i feel like even in the last 10 years it's gotten yeah. like intensely complicated and people want to like it's it's especially like especially sci-fi it's like sub sub-genre well yeah. you know it's science fantasy for new adults what the fuck does that mean yeah
2: <laughs> new adult fantasy is like the one that, there's a term that i heard so it means I, immature adult no yeah. it
0: doesn't actually it just means like a young, a young adult but we mean like maybe up to 30 I don't know. Like
2: new adult is like
0: just admit that adults read young adult books. Yeah, it's fine.
2: I um I was always I, I, I had posted about this on Twitter on Facebook the other day because I have recently been surfing the R fantasy board on Reddit um and limiting myself to that because the rest of Reddit is a fucking cesspool. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm on that board and I'm on the this uh, sci-fi board and I find with, with fantasy people just accept shit. They're like it's fantasy. Do whatever the fuck we want, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of arguments about what's good and what's not, or what yeah. people like and what they don't. And there's the typical nerd arguments about like, um, you know, whether or not Malazan Book of the Fallen is actually good or not, which it isn't. Uh, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> but the sci-fi board, fuck me. The yeah. just every single discussion that anyone tries to start about any sci-fi book. Has to begin with like some weird fucking debate on what subgenre it fits into. Good God! Mm. And there's it's like it's like is it hard sci-fi or is it soft sci-fi or is it light sci-fi or is it slipstream or is it cyberpunk or is it blah 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 blah. And I'm it's just like Jesus, sci-fi fucking
0: over easy with a side of bacon, right?
2: And, and yeah. it's just like and people are like there are people who just they're like. um they won't read anything that isn't hard sci-fi because it's a subversion of the sci-fi genre and had laser neo
0: pistols. Neo post
3: Gibson and, fiction. That's yeah. all I oh, read.
0: God damn it. <laughs> the The
3: well, thing a, that,
0: the thing about Gibson though is like he was writing about the future and then the future happened. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll write something else. He was like, yeah. shit,
2: I was right. <laughs>
3: <Yes>.
0: yeah' <laughs> we're yeah. fucked.
2: I remember reading, um, um. Neuromancer. Neuromancer, I only read it, it was a couple years ago, actually, a year and a half ago, I read it for the first time. And I remember reading that and thinking to myself, literally the only thing in this book that that didn't actually, that isn't plausible or didn't, you know, some, you know, couldn't lead was he still talked about TVs being tube TVs and he still talked, and he didn't um, have much in the way of like, uh, like cell phones weren't a thing in the book. Right. Like, and that kind of evolution never happened. But aside from that, everything in that book, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is like. I still want Molly's
0: sunglasses so yeah. bad. Yeah, right. And sharp nails
2: i want a pizza yeah. i want a pizza nader and, <laughs> and speaking of speaking of like cyberpunk stuff like that and, and this is a weird ass fucking tangent topic for this Do-do. podcast but there was a video that i watched on, online about um a company that's working on robotic uh prosthetics for for people who've for amputees oh my god i want and a robot hand so much one of the one of the, here's the thing um they've done plenty of Uh, work with with people who are like uh, amputated below the elbow or something like that but there was a particular guy that they were showing in this video who had he was a double amputee above the shoulder in both arms and they had him hooked up to a rig that had fully articulated arms all the way down to the fingers hooked into his nervous system that he he was just controlling with his brain yeah and it you know they were talking about how at the moment he could only control like one joint at a time so he had to like he had to position the elbow and then position the wrist and then position each finger or the or the hand or whatever but at the, still the concept of the fact that they've got him hooked up to robotics that he's controlling with his brain yeah. is fucking fascinating and it's like all the sci-fi that we've... C- cyberpunk shit we've been reading for the last 30 fucking years is is coming true. The future uh, is and, now. And so, it's fantastic. So I'm going to go off on this tangent a little bit
3: because I love the idea of prosthetics uh, insofar <laughs> as, you know, it's making people's lives better. They 3D a,
0: printed legs for a dog.
3: Uh, I saw that. There's... A, talk on TED where there's a guy discussing prosthetics not actually being designed to mimic human things, but to mimic the form that the person wants. Right. Mm. Uh, There was a guy who lost his leg in a bike accident. And as opposed to giving him a prosthetic leg that looked like a leg, they basically made a carbon fiber shell for it, so it looks like an extension of his motorcycle. Uh, And it is fucking amazing. And then they showed a girl um, who had lost her leg in a car accident, and the prosthetic leg that they made, um, they did a very thin
2: coating of a shell that looked like lace. So it looked like she was wearing stockings. Huh. Huh. I saw a long time ago actually, I mean, and this is this is the more simplistic version of that that I'm sure it evolved into stuff like that was simply a guy who had um had both of his legs amputated below the knee and had um prosthetics for his feet he had interchangeable prosthetics for his feet that could do different things he had normal ones that were just for walking around during the day he had these like um back bent spring ones for that running. He used for running yeah. he had um like claw appendages that he used for rock climbing that's like cool. like all kinds of stuff that was like that's fucking fantastic yeah. that's really awesome yeah one of the things, speaking of prosthetics, this actually leads in pretty good to what I wanted to talk about. I'm reading uh, I'm reading the Winter Soldier, the original Winter Soldier storyline. The one from like uh, 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I've got the first Brubaker Captain America omnibus, hmm. um, which is the Winter Soldier and slightly after that, and... Um, I have to say like <laughs> reading this storyline 10 years later after seeing the movie version is probably a bad idea because it's good
0: <laughs> he says <laughs> dot 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 question but, mark but man it's there getting. is
2: some bad dialogue and mm-hmm. there are some there are some plot elements of it that are clearly just was
1: this with the the time bullet? The death. This or, is before, before. This is before well before the, the time bullet. Okay, time bullet was what um, four years ago?
3: E- I don't remember.
0: I think I it remember. it happened shortly before we started casting.
2: Yeah. So that was the thing about this. It's it's like the storyline starts with basically Red Skull gets assassinated, and then they're looking for some other guy, and then the Winter Soldier shows up, and they find out it's Bucky, and it's and it's, um, it is really clunky it's not a bad storyline and I can understand how in the time it was definitely better than the other shit that Captain America had dealt with mm-hmm. and it was definitely more yeah. like because this was oh, this was only shortly after Liefeld's run on Captain America mm-hmm. um, I'm just thinking of I have an 80s version of the
3: story of Cap where uh, oh god it's like not bullseye but it's one of the uh, ball rock the hunter or Balrock the Leaper, or whatever his name Backrock is. Batroc the Leaper. Batroc the Leaper. Who's yeah. in the Who's in the movie? By the way. Uh, yeah. But he has Captain America tied to like this giant, um, like, w- random choice wheel, <laughs> and the
1: thing that spins will kill him if it lands on him. That's the cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it's pretty, whoop, 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 whoop. they had no idea what to do with Cap in America. Yeah. And and that's the one thing what Brew Baker did was kind of make it a grounded little bit... Grounded him. Exactly. And yeah.
2: and I don't mind that because this is short you know, there's it centers primarily around Cap and and Sharon, like Agent thirteen. And but there's just there there's times where it's like it'll go for an issue or two and mm-hmm. it'll be really grounded in this really nice storyline between two people and then all of a sudden Crossbones shows up and he's just like super over the top and really dumb. And then the dialogue, there's just points where the dialogue is is flat, awful. Mm. Um, and it's weird reading it like in in this, you know, coming at it from the angle that I'm coming at it from because most of the people that read it read it back then, yep. and were excited for the movie because of having read it. Me, on the other hand, I was like, um, it looks like a cool character, great. I'm now I'm going to go back and read the comic that it's based on, and um, wah, wah. And I'm willing to add, I'm willing to bow to the fact that at the time it was a fantastic storyline for this book. Mm. Um, but much in the way that we, you know, we used to ad- assess things on after the fact. Oh, I'm not sure it yeah. holds up anymore.
1: So yeah. well, I think
3: one of the, the biggest merits is between that run of Cap and the Ultimates storyline that had Cap as yeah. the Punisher. Um, Mark Millar and Brew Baker really sort of grounded captain america and gave him more he, they fleshed him out more yeah. like as as opposed to him just being a super soldier they developed the non-cap aspect of yeah him. they developed steve rogers they, yeah they developed steve rogers yeah and that sort of led to a chain reaction of that sort of like i mean you wouldn't have hawkeye yeah if it wasn't the, for that sort humanizing of humanizing the character you, yeah, you just still like, have you know superheroes of superheroes in the dick
2: is my favorite expression yeah. But, I can definitely see that too. Yeah. I can see those aspects of this storyline.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm. I'm just I it's just uh and, and it's it's partially probably because of uh, poorly set expectations, right? Because everybody, especially when Winter Soldier the movie came out, everybody's yeah. like, this is based on the greatest storyline that's ever been in a Captain <laughs> America book and it's so fucking good and blah, blah, blah. so going Look, into it, it I'm not like, line, so yeah, it's not right. the wear cap
3: storyline. So it's not the greatest storyline yeah, Captain actually, America yeah. ever. <laughs>
2: Okay, so for the last couple of weeks, we have been reading uh, what amounts to the the first volume of the library edition of Hellboy. It's the first um, two arcs. It's the first two arcs of the story. Oddly enough, and this is something that, that caught me off guard when I was reading it, was um, the first two major arcs of the book are, are um, Seed of Destruction, which was the f- very first Hellboy you know arc ever, and Hellboy. then uh, Wake the Devil, which is the third there's a BPRD so, thing in there? Right? No, no, that's the thing. There were two one-shots in between. Uh, there was uh The Corpse in the Iron Shoes and um oh god, there was another one that I can't remember off the top of my head. Cuz the cor- it it kind of was actually. The Corpse in the Iron Shoes is actually one of my favorite uh, Hellboy books, and I was I thought that it was going to be collected here, but it's not. Is it um, volume three? Maybe it's in volume two. two okay. volume two, they collect a bunch of shorter Hellboy stories because these were the first two like long form ones, right? And then there were the one shots, and then there were a couple of like two and three issue ones that they collect into volume two of the Hellboy of the Library editions. The Corpse in the Iron Shoes is actually where, um, it, for anybody that's seen the Hellboy movie, uh, the scene where he goes where they're in the Russian graveyard and he goes and gets the half-corpse guy and slings him over his shoulder and he's talking to him. That is actually the story from... The
3: Corpse in the Iron Shoes.
2: The Corpse in the Iron Shoes where the the corpse is the one telling him where to find... I think in that one, it's actually the... And one of the reasons I like the story so much is that um, in the original book, um, it starts out with... Hellboy getting recruited by an Irish woman whose baby has been replaced by f- by a fae. Um, oh, nice. Where like the baby is kidnapped and has been, and there's a uh, a fairy doppelganger in its place. That um, that Hellboy like it's just a baby in a crib, and the mom's like, "That's not my baby," and he's like, "It kind of looks like your baby," and he, she's like, "That is not my fucking baby." So he stabs it with a cold iron f- fireplace poker. And start it's-
0: talking, shorty. Where's the baby?
2: <clears throat> yeah. Oh, you've got it. There yeah. We
3: d- we do have access to I think all of the librarians yeah. somewhere so right we're-
2: here what was the here just a sec let me great
3: see. for the uh, the podcasting listeners at home as we flip through every single volume of the library editions mm. trying to find a story where a baby is skewered I with a I have the baby skewered and I appreciate that
0: they do the, the skewering the one one thing I really love about the Hellboy universe is that it holds very true to violence against children uh, well I mean traditional <laughs> violence against children by which I mean like fairy tale traditions yeah. and mythological traditions it weaves a bunch of mm-hmm. sort of disparate things together really interestingly
2: the chained coffin was the other one that was mm. the other one shot that was between Wake the Devil and Seed of Destruction. <laughs> so, I'm to so sort of run with something that Anne uh, just mentioned. One of my favorite things about
3: the Hellboy world that Mike Magnolia has created is that he's taken literally, like, you've got uh, the Baba Yaga legend, you've got, you know, the Fae from Ireland, you've got, uh, like, all of these different aspects of mm-hmm. the supernatural world, and he just pulls in anything that he wants and he makes it work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is. Really, I
2: think it would be a really difficult task for a writer to do.
3: Yeah. As a writer that tries to
0: do this sort of thing, I'm impressed. (laughs) I
2: I do like the fact that, I mean, I've always kind of liked stories like this where... You know, every region of the planet has their own mythos, mythos and legends and, and monsters and like with Hellboy, it's just it, it's literally that. If they're in Ireland, they're fighting Faye, and if they're, you know, they go to different places in the world and have to deal with the mythos of that area because it's all real to some degree. Yeah. Um and that's I think they pull that off pretty well in the movies as well. I think they did a good job of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but that was one of the things. So, you know, getting into this book, uh, I've been reading. I've, I'm, I'm an off and on Hellboy reader, not because I don't like it, just because I like lose track of it every once in a while. There's a and, lot of it, <laughs> and there's a lot of it. But, um, I read the first Hellboy stories when they very first came out in, I think it was ninety Dark Horse Presents four. I th- want to say. Um, yeah, there was some, there were some short ones, but yeah. Hellboy actually came out as its own book in like 90, I, I think it was 94. And I, I can look in the back of this library edition and it says, but, um, the, 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 the main thing that drew me to it was when I, when I originally saw the ads and stuff and saw the name of it, I'm like, that sounds really stupid, right? The name Hellboy just sounds, it sounded dumb. But then I started reading that first story arc and I was like, he really fucking pulls this off yeah like um he gets the feel just right and um totally the... deals
0: with like big universal themes of mm-hmm. like fate versus choice
2: right deals with um like the first arc uh, which is Seed of destruction deals with uh the Mignola versus version of Cthulian gods, the Ogre Jihad. And, um, obviously the, the premise is, uh, that in 1944, um, Nazi scientists, I don't want to say Nazi scientists because it was, It was a subset. Occultists whom the Nazis were working with uh, attempted to draw a demon onto the planet and they got Hellboy instead. (laughs) Whoops. Um, And then the U.S. government
3: gets Hellboy from them. Right. And raises him in Arizona.
2: New Mexico? New Mexico? Something like that?
0: New Mexico, yeah. Yeah. Incidentally, Springer, New Mexico does have the devils as their um, mascot. Their high (laughs) school mascot. So who knows?
2: Um I like it. The the thing that the thing that has always attracted me to this book was all the stuff that we were just talking about was the the um the different mythos that he uses for each storyline, right? And that's what I liked when I first started reading it was that, like he would focus on each even one-shot comic books would focus on a, like we were talking about the the corpses. He goes to Ireland and it's dealing with fate. Hell, Hellboy in Mexico is Luchadors and Luchador then, is in Day of the Dead. <laughs> sure. Um, um, Chupacabra. Oh. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm actually I think I, you're full, right. dis, full disclosure. I'm not caught up on on Hellboy. I'm um, I'm way behind actually. But uh, so. God, there's so much that
3: I want to talk about with <coughs> Okay, so play. I'm going to jump in for a minute here. So, um, let's you guys want to talk about the art and that'll give us a, like a moment yeah. to Yay. Okay. So, I love Mike Magnolia's style and I think yeah. it really has led to some interesting things um specifically if you look at either Casanova or Umbrella Academy. <coughs> mm-hmm. huh. Both of those in my opinion draw heavily on the style that Mike Magnolia created which, which 15 is, years ago, yeah. which is Gabriel Bá.
2: Bá, thank you. Um and Fabio Moon is the writer, uh, right? Fabio yes. Moon, yeah, or Matt Frack, or Matt, Matt no, 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 Fabio the Moon and Gabriel Ba are They're the brothers, brothers. that but are they in, did Day um, Tripper in, to yeah.
3: together. Got yeah. it. Day Tripper did it. Um, also, uh, oh shit, I can't think of who the other
2: artist is. But
3: so there's there's a very distinct style
2: that Mike
0: Eming's stuff looks a little oh, bit. Oh yeah,
3: I like. mean, and thank you, Eming, Eming and, and
2: Victor yeah. Santos, who does Ma- uh My M- M- Mice Templar, My Mice Templar.
3: Mice Templar. Um, it's a very angular style there's not many curves yeah. everything is straight lines and mm-hmm. what it does is it creates this really jagged sort of everything looks more actiony than it actually is because there's no there's not much smoothness like uh and just opened a random book to a page where there's some devil horns and if you look at those horns they're not really curved it's just a series of straight lines mm-hmm. and like it just it's so sharp and clean that it really you know draws you into the book because everything his, looks dynamic. His
2: yeah. use of of black space is mm-hmm. just f- and shadow is so phenomenal. Yeah, it in reminds these books. me
3: of 100 uh, bullets.
1: Uh, Frank Miller, Sin City. Oh, okay, that's another good one. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
3: uh, Frank Miller actually probably would be
2: the the progenitor of Magnolia. I don't, yeah. I don't,
3: yeah, I don't. I don't.
1: I, don't, I disagree.
2: Yeah. I think that they are. Um, I think the only place that their two art styles cross is their use of black space. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, I else. think Mignola is is really he is the originator of a style. To be in, to be completely honest, yeah. like because when I was reading comics in the late '80s and early '90s. You know, everything had kind of a specific style, and at, the, at that time, the big the big guys were like McFarlane and Jim Lee. Yeah, and um Field. No, that was more late '80s, mid late '80s. I okay. was after Image came around, um, and even then, like, yeah, Life Field. Ha- I guess no, I guess Life had some stuff in like New Mutants that was in like uh, the early '90s. So Spider Man, New Mutants. Um, yeah. but that was one of the things that, um as a 12 or 13 or 14-year-old when Hellboy came out, originally, initially, turned me off of of this book was Mignol's Art because, you know, at the time, being a kid, you get kind of... Into a specific style, and of oh my course, god, Cable's
3: amazing! He's right. got these giant guns and pouches on his
2: inside of his thighs, and, and he's got and grenades at,
3: on those pouches. I don't crazy, care how he
2: walks. Yeah, and look at the crazy anatomy that McFarlane's doing with Spider-Man, and you know, Jim Lee had this very clean, like you know, superheroy style, mm-hmm. and. As a kid you're like this is what I like and I and this and that's why 90s comics exploded and did the thing that they did because they were they were marketed at that 13 to 16 year old boy range mm-hmm. and everybody all the kids were like Bleh! um and it, initially I was like I don't know if I'm going to like this book because of the art but then I read it and I really liked the storylines because I've always been into the kind of like mythos type storylines and then over the years, as I started like learning more about art when I went to art school and when I started, you know, opening my mind to different styles, I would go back to Mignola and see all of the things that I missed when I was a kid. You know, all of the, <coughs> all of the random coffee. Yeah. All of the um details that it's weird to say, but like when you look at Jim Lee's art or McFarlane's art back in the day, they're very over-rendered. There's mm. there's a lot of quote-unquote detail that's not actually detail, yeah, it's right? Just it's stuff. just stuff, filler, cross-hatching. Um, I love cross-hatching. <laughs> I like in, that's like my one holdout from the 90s and
3: I'm just like I don't
2: give a fuck, cross-hatch everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mignola's art you it's it's in a way, it's fairly minimalistic Absolutely. it's um, the, the it's it's, iconic. It's iconic. Yeah, huge use of blacks and shadows, flat colors, which is something that the, you know you don't
0: render Mignola's art because it would look weird. Yeah, um, it totally works. It's almost got like a more designy feel in terms right. of like sort of an offshoot of propaganda posters, but not really. Um, I can see where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of the flat colors, mostly yeah. what I mean.
2: Um, and then I go back to it now, and I'm like, there's so many little details that he throws into these books, so many like little things in the background that he plays on later, or details in the monsters that become important that you don't notice the first time, yeah, yeah. so one of the I think one of the
3: highlights of the book, and I might have mentioned this or not is that everything ties in later on, yeah, like there's really nothing that's wasted if you see a character for some you know random reason in you know volume one. I promise you,
2: they will be back for the most part. That is one of the things that shocked me about this because I had just finished. Anybody that follows me on Twitter or the Facebook group knows that I am reading through all the stuff on my shelf in alphabetical order, and I had just finished all four volumes of BPRD: Plague of Frogs, and not being caught up on Hellboy and having oh, read God. this and having read this book fucking ten years ago at the at the la- latest. Um, I didn't remember Kate being, being in, in these there. original books. I didn't remember that it was within these stories that Roger is found. Um, and Roger is like a huge part of BPRD for a long time. Um, so it, and this storyline, the Seed of Destruction storyline, is actually where the Plague of Frog stuff starts. Yep. Uh, and God damn it, I'm super pissed because I can't remember what question I always ask you when you're talking about
3: reading through your books in alphabetical order. I, I don't either. If no. Oh, neither do we. Yeah, fuck it. Something about reading BPRD before Hellboy.
2: Yeah, you always asked me if I'd read Hellboy. Okay, and yes, I have read a bunch of Hellboy. I didn't remember most of it when I was reading BPRD, which is fine. Uh, but the Ape Sapien so, story, by the way, there's a, a like a, it's a three issue mini arc. Hmm. It's so good. There's a few of those actually, and there's one that um, I read a while ago, drawn by James Herron, that was just amazing. Um, but that's the other thing that that. Uh, reading through this initial book um, brought to my brought to the forefront for me is this is probably the most cohesive enduring independent universe yeah. in comics yeah. Yeah. you know it's not just hellboy he created a universe that is That has spawned all the BPRD books, the Abe Sapien books, the Lobster Johnson stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, That is, you know, coherent. It's got a whole bunch of awesome characters in it. It's got a ton
0: of offshoot titles.
2: Yeah, a ton of offshoot titles. Characters that die and stay dead. What? um, (laughs) Actual, (laughs) actual character arcs from front to back that start and end and have a storyline in between and then they move on to other things and allow the story to progress naturally. Yeah.
1: yeah, and that's one of the things about the Hellboy that's so good and it's apparent is that you can see the quality in it, you know? And and one of the things that I, I really loved and enjoyed is that this was kind of... Um, Harkening in the age of the anti-hero. Mm. Because before, like we yeah. talked before, before this, like during the 80s, early 90s, it was all Liefeld, Jim Lee, everything was super glossy, um, superhero stuff. And there was, everything was really melodrama. You know, good guys were good, bad guys were bad. And this is one of the first comic books where you have a bad guy who's the hero. This it, guy is...
0: It's really about choice. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, his nature is obviously quote unquote evil, but he's like, you know what? F that noise.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do what I want to do. And eventually, you know, I might fulfill my destiny of being a bad guy. But right now, I'm just going to do my own thing. And that's one of the things that <clears throat> kicked off this whole kind of independent revolution. Because this is, what, 94, I think, when yeah. when Hellboy first came out? 93, uh, actually. Hellboy was in an Italian comic oh. for a
3: single short story. Yeah. and like I don't think he was actually Hellboy at that point. But it was... It was Hellboy, but it wasn't called Hellboy, yeah. if yeah. I remember right.
1: And then this also harkened in the different art style, too, where yeah. we we're talking about Jim Lee. Everything was super rendered, Wildcats and Image comic books. Oh, and wow. this was completely different, you know, and it also used a lot. The one thing I love about Mingola is he uses a lot of negative image. So
0: Can I just mention that we haven't... I, ha, Mike what... I would say Mignola. You I'm said pretty Mingola. sure it's Mignola. M- M- Mignola. M- Mignola. Okay. Mignola. I feel like we've never okay. pronounced it twice the same way. The
2: whole no, yeah. I, I'm I pretty sure it's Mignola, Mignola because I've seen it written and there's an accent over the O that would make it it's Mignola. Mignola. It's Yeah. Mi-g-no-l.
3: Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mignola. Mignola. All right. It's pronounced Mignola. Mikey Mignola. It's Mikey. Mikey. That's a common thing.
0: Anyway, New I'm sorry. That, mm, was a, that was a tangent right? and you were saying really coherent things, Joel. Uh, well, uh,
1: the one thing I love about the art is that it was com- a completely different take on um, what a superhero could be or what comic books could be, you know, because everything mm-hmm. was super rendered. And it did. T- it does take a lot. Uh, one of the things about Frank Miller and Sin City is that he uses a lot of negative space where most of the panels are black. With little splashes of color in them, and you can't your body or your mind um, fills in the blank spaces like um, like gestalt, you know that you yeah. can fill out the form, and not everything is inferred um, explicitly. And that's one of the things. It also deals with um, this genre too, because he's dealing with demons and darkness, and a lot of the things are a lot of the panels are really dark too mm-hmm. and I, and one thing i notice is like the one of the the bad guys is completely rendered in black with you can just see his eyes
0: you're talking you about know. rasputin
1: yeah and so whenever you see him running around it's just this black image that's slinking around and you don't really get to see what it is but you know it's it's a evil darkness i cannot yeah. remember
3: the the nazi soldier's name who's mostly a cyborg in the movie no, was, that's what i'm looking up right now so you guys talk the the clockwork guy. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've talked about art enough at this point. Yeah. Um, like, do you guys want to talk about, like, the story itself? Do you want to talk about the concept? Like-
0: I, I want to talk a moment about the world building. I know that we've, we have a bit, but um, I, shortly before I reread this, I reread um, Gerald Tolkien's essay on fairies and fairy stories, which is required reading. If you haven't read it, go read it or you're, like, a bad human being. Yeah, that's he not actually true what he's talking about. um but Maybe. it's it's interesting in the main concept that he has is like um fantasy the purpose of it is to like create a compelling secondary world that is like populated by your characters yeah well, and like it's it's a it's a secondary world it has a coherent set of rules and yet it we are um compelled enough by it that we we use primary emotions if that makes sense mm-hmm. um if you think of like super super pulpy stuff, I don't think necessarily. I to borrow t- you know Tolkien's words, I don't necessarily apply primary emotions to like um, Time Fucker, for example. Oh
3: my God, Time Fucker is so good.
0: <laughs> I mean, perhaps perhaps the
3: sequels even better.
0: More
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> you example. bought it. I know. <laughs> I sort of regret maybe that. Maybe Axe Cop.
0: Yeah, axe where cop. Anything is exactly. Anything goes. I, I don't. I don't apply like my primary emotion to axe cop. I don't get super like upset when you know baby gets checked at a planet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, I, I feel like the world of BPRD, even though it's based on Earth and with Earth legend, um, it feels like a secondary world, and you know, it feels like something that I can be really invested in.
3: Because um, it, like, it's a combination of it you know using literally every single mythos that he Which feels like it's, su-
0: it's super consistent it's like everything is true go
3: mm. um in ireland is it the sin is that the fairies
0: uh, i don't remember their name
3: okay but uh like any world that can combine that coherently with cthulhu nazis rasputin baba yaga um oh shit i can't remember what the uh the pig is
0: uh, well, there's Anubis at some point, right? Anu- oh, that's the little bonus story at the end. Yeah. yeah right? You're but thinking about punches the boar.
3: The boar, yeah. yeah. Like, who, like, you think, like, you, the first time you see him, you're like, oh, this guy's worthless. Then, you like, you get to, like, volume nine or whatever, The Wild Hunt, and you're like, oh, my God, that guy is oh,
0: just sassy.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, um, this was one of the first books that I read that, f- that caused me to actually look deeper into what, um he was drawing from when he was writing the stories, right? Like cause he'd go he'd bring in like I knew the major weirdness, like I knew what Bobby Yaga was when I was a kid. Hot and with a the few chicken foot. others Yeah. Um kidnaps children. Um and I but there were there were so many things like this was this was probably Yeah, I think this was actually my first um exposure uh to any kind of Cthulian stuff uh-huh. back in the early '90s, um, which also led me to looking into things like games like um, uh, Call of Cthulhu and and you know all the Arkham horror type stuff. Uh, but the, but it every time a new thing came up, I was like, oh, cool! I want to go look into this. Like when I was reading *Corpse in the Iron Shoes*, and I was like, um, oh, now I'm going to go you know read more about Irish and Celtic fae and and it it was this kind of neat little hub introduction to world mythos mm-hmm. and the legends of the of various different cultures. And There's I definitely that was some neat.
0: of the Arabic words that came up in this one that I want to go look up and like see what they're connected to.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoy in the first few issues. I, I like the concept of the Ogre Jihad um, as a you know they've they've definitely got a Cthulian influence but it is the i think the one thing and i might be wrong on this because i haven't done a little research but it's i believe it is the one thing in the book that is solely a, original. Uh, a an original monster that mm-hmm. is you know i mean there are others but uh, most of them you know guys like roger and cronin is the name of the the, the pig no, no no the the german um, oh clockwork the guy, clockwork guy. Mm-hmm. um who just, like, who's way more intelligent in the book than he is in the movie. In the movie, he's just a... A machine, um, a, a killing machine. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a killing machine. And and um, the, uh, the Ogre Jihad being influenced by Cthulian stuff, but their own, you know, his own version of it, and the whole, you know, the seven imprisoned gods, and st- it's just... I, I don't know. It's just fascinating the way that he weaves it's these different kind of things.
0: It's incredibly easy to believe in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I honestly have no idea what he's made up and what he hasn't. And I nerd out about this stuff. So good job. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I Go ahead. Oh, and I think the reason why it's it's so quality and it's good stuff is because he sticks to the rules, right yeah. and like Luke was saying, any character that is brought into the book is used later on. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. you might think it's a throwaway character, it's not it's every everybody has a purpose in this, and nothing is done it there's no wasted stories or right. anything like that, and that's one of the good things about it, and the fact that he's able to write this and and draw it or art it or you had it right the first time. I don't know why you (laughs) stop yourself because of drawers, drawers, Drawers. no, I can't can't ever be. Well, and I
2: think, I think part of that, um, that cohesiveness comes from, um, this world being built by Mignola and controlled by him for Mm. the last 20 years. Right. Um, he, he has a vision for what it was going to be. He built it slowly from the start, and Dark Horse let him take his time. Yeah. And then they spun off. You know, He he teamed up with guys like John R. Cootie to do the Richard BPRD Corbin stuff. And well. Corbin, yeah. Um, and he still has this vision of his world and where he wants it to lead and where he wants his character to lead, which is why you know he's able to do something like Hellboy in hell. Hellboy in Hell where he mm-hmm. you know in modern spoilers he kills off Hellboy but that was like what 2 years ago something like that yeah, about- um where he kills off Hellboy and now he's running new stories with Hellboy in a completely different environment mm. and you know you end up th- this isn't controlled by an editorial staff it's mm. his it's, and it world. is not a Shared world that they ha- He has to worry about a shitload of other people, um, other people trying to horn in on his continuity. Yeah. Well, yeah. so it's, you know? it's
3: a shared world in so far as that other characters have yes. developed. I mean, BPRD to this at I this meant point creatively, yeah. But yeah. I'm like BPRD is its own story, right? And it's gone off and branched off completely from Hellboy. Yeah. Um. I. Uh. Oh God. There was a book that just came out. Um. Maybe a year ago that uh, takes place. I mean, it's a a Magnolia book, obviously, but I didn't realize that it was tied in until the very end. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just another character that he's adding to the world. Oh, that's Uh, cool. Lobster Johnson is another example where Lobster Johnson stories are their own thing. Yep. Um, Abe Sapien has his own book. Uh Uh,. Plague of Frogs, to a certain extent, is its own thing? Yeah. It's kind of BPRD, but... Eh. Well, no,
2: BPRD... Plague of Frogs was the overarching BPRD storyline up until that story... Like, it, the first four hardcovers that I read were the Plague of Frogs storyline. Yeah. That ended, but and BPRD now it led continue. into um, Vampire and Hell on Earth. Hell on Earth. So. And Hell
3: on Earth is a direct result of Fu- the Storm and the Fury. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. There was itty-bitty Hellboy. It got nominated for an Eisner.
3: <laughs> what itty bitty hellboy, Itty-bitty hellboy. <laughs> it's like a kid's comic that's cool it's,
2: it's hellboy when he's a kid that's awesome um, I I mean we, we should probably start wrapping this up I cannot say enough good things about hellboy in the universe oh there is one thing that I wanted to bring up was uh-huh. the movies um, the movies have caught a lot of flack from people for some they're reason Right? Mm-hmm. why and they're fantastic Like, they're fantastic adventure movies, Mm. and one of the things that I really loved about them and one of the things that kind of deflates a lot of the arguments about, well, they changed this or this is different than that, is that Mignola worked directly with Mm. Guillermo Guillermo del Toro to make these movies and gave him the freedom to, just like he does with John Arcudi and BPRD, gave him the freedom to be like, here's what you can do, let me see what you do with it. And... Yeah, there's changes to the storyline. There's changes to the feel that are a nece- are necessary changes because of the change in medium. Yep. Yeah. Um,
0: it's actually a good adaptation.
2: Right. Mm. It's a good adaptation without being slavished, slavishly devoted to the original material, um, which is just fantastic. Especially, Be- uh, Hellboy two. Like the Golden Army was
3: oh it's so good, so yeah.
2: good. It's such a good movie. Yeah.
3: Interesting tangent. Um, I feel like much in the the vein that we were discussing, uh, Cap both iterations of him leading to fleshed out Marvel characters. I feel like the Hellboy movies directly led to things like Guardians of the Galaxy and whatnot, where they're, you know, Uh they are homages to a certain extent to the Marvel equivalents, but they're not the same. Like, right. Hellboy proved that you can do a successful film version of a comic Mm -hmm.
2: without literally
3: sticking to every single point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think they did a fantastic job with the movies. So if, if anybody out there hasn't seen the Hellboy movies because you, they've gotten, you know, poor reviews or people have been ragging on them, go see them. They're, f- they're really, really they're totally
0: fun,
3: good. I
2: think really good Netflix. fun. The first one might be on Netflix.
3: The first Maybe.
0: one was at least a couple of months back. It was on Netflix because okay. I rewatched it. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's surprisingly satisfying.
2: So um, uh, by in, if, if we're going to go buy Barbara Burning, I'm an in, I'm in instant buy. There's no, there's no question. No hesitation, especially the library editions. If we're going to talk about the library editions, these are some of the prettiest comic book collections and probably the best um, presentation of Mignola's art I've I've seen. Like, fantastic. Mm. Yeah.
0: I would buy. And Hellboy is one of those, like, huge things that I don't actually own. So, mm. like, as a human actually considering literally buying this really massive, expensive series, I think mm-hmm. I'm just going to slowly acquire the library editions because they're so lovely.
3: Yeah uh buy i mean yeah. i've i've given out a library copy of number 1 yeah. and i'm just like yeah it's
1: it's so nice it's so so nice yeah he gave it away because he knew he was going to get another one yeah uh buy it it's quality yeah it's it's pure quality you know it, why <clears throat> why not uh, with all the other stuff that's out there this is something that's lasted mm-hmm. and there's a reason why it's lasted I, I feel like these are actually better than absolute editions Mm. Oh uh, absolutely yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So for the la-
2: uh For the next several episodes we've got them Mapped out and I'll go ahead and read off uh, The list from episodes 84 through 90 We're going to be doing uh, The Marvel Now Miss Marvel by G. Willow Wilson and uh, Alphona I forget his Adrian Alphona Adrian Alfona. Uh did
0: Runaways.
2: 85 is going to be Black Science, which is Remender and Mart- Mateo Scalera. Science. Uh, 86 is going to be Orc Stain yeah. uh, by James Stoko. Garage. Uh, <laughs> 80, 87 is going to be Wicked and Divine. Yes. And I don't remember the artisan writer on that, so don't worry. Uh,
0: it's. Oh. <laughs>
2: Eighty eight is Batman the Long Halloween. We're going for a classic on that one. Eighty nine is gonna be the first run of the massive, and episode ninety is gonna be our Lucifer long read.
0: Jamie McKelvey and Karen Gillian.
2: Ah, thank you. That's for Wicked and Divine, by the yes. way. No, um so and the massive is is Brian Wood and Gary Brown. Uh those are our episodes coming up. Miss Marvel's am l- I'm I've been itching to read that ever since it started. It's so good. We're really looking forward to that one. Um, if you guys have any questions, comments, anything you want to say, l- very much like uh, our our fan, Aaron Coker, uh, took some time to thank us for the podcast and tell us that he's a really big fan. He got um, he got introduced to us at Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, and he is... Uh, I looked at his Facebook page, and he's on the staff of a, of a Midwest convention called Convergence. Um, and he's... Uh, he took some time to thank us, and I wanted to say thank you very much, Aaron, for, for listening to the show and uh, taking the time to say something. Hey, Aaron. Yep. If you can uh, send me a link to your podcast, I'd love to hear it. Oh, that's right. He said he started a podcast. Yeah. Yay. We'd love to hear it, and we'll uh, talk about it on the show a little bit maybe. Um so uh, if you want to be part of the show like Aaron and you want to talk about any of the books that I just brought up, you can hit up our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash uh, trade secrets podcast. You can email us at trade secrets at geek dot com uh, or you can hit us up on Twitter at trade secrets pod. We all individually have our Twitter accounts and
0: at and tweets, Andy, math
2: Joel superfly. And I am at geek elite uh, we're all fairly active well Joel's not no. active on Twitter yeah, at all um, but um, get the tweets but yeah you uh, you can fire us questions or comments or concerns on any of those uh, at any of those outlets and we will deal with them on the show um, next episode again is gonna be uh, miss Marvel and it's gonna be fantastic Yee. I won't be here. And That's Andy won't why. be here.
1: It's fantastic. <laughs> Fuck you. Nice. So, uh,
3: thank
2: you, Ann, for joining us
3: today. And how? Thank you, Andy. I'm going to quote Matt Fraction quoting me. Hail, Satan. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: uh, thank you, Joel.
1: Uh, you're welcome.
2: Uh, I am Luke. This has been episode 83 of the Trade Secrets Podcast, and we are
0: out. Make it the,
1: make it do it more than ever. Make it harder, make it better, do it faster, makes us stronger, all that